The historic Green Mountains of Vermont are a part of the most beautiful stretch of wilderness in New England. The warm weather months make this a tranquil place of shade soaked in a warm array of greens and browns. In the autumn, the hills come alive with a wild array of breathtaking color. But these mountains don't just lure the outdoor enthusiasts and the autumn leaf peepers. They also draw something much darker. And that comes when the shadows grow long across these rugged mountains and when the snow starts to fall, covering the jagged landscape with a monotonous blanket of white. There are places deep in the most haunted corners of these mountains where the fabric of time and space is, well, we'll say it grows thin. These corners are places where things that are not supposed to do so slip into our world and where things from our world sometimes slip out, never to be seen again. There are secrets in the Green Mountains. They loom over the town of Bennington, Vermont, a place that has always had a reputation for strangeness. There are places in the nearby woods and hills that have been remote and forbidden since the days of colonial settlement. Places that have been plagued by reports of mysterious lights and sounds of ghosts and of unknown creatures that aren't meant to be seen by man. It's a place so strange that even the master of weird fiction, H.P. Lovecraft, set one of his stories here, The Whisperer in the Darkness. The First Nations people shunned the area long before the white men arrived. They knew better than to settle here. The land they believed was tainted. It was cursed. But I know what you might be thinking. You don't believe in legends and folk tales, ghostly apparitions, will-o'-the-wisps in the woods, mysterious creatures, or nameless sounds on the night wind. So let's forget about all that for a few minutes and allow me to present you with, as Joe Friday used to say, just the facts. Near Bennington is Glastonbury Mountain, a place around which so many of the stories I mentioned took place, and there's a good reason for that. You see, near the mountain is the scenic Long Trail, the oldest long-distance hiking trail in the United States. It follows the main ridge of the Green Mountains from the Massachusetts-Vermont state line to the Canadian border. But the Long Trail has its own secrets. Over the decades, it's become the scene of a great American mystery. It's an unsolved puzzle that involves the disappearances of a number of people who have simply never been found. Vanished without a trace. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to our latest season, Woods and Fields, Dark and Wicked, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. This is a season that I've been working on literally for most of my life, dating back to my childhood when I first became fascinated by the strange tales that emerged from America's forests, farms, and fields. Tales of horror and homicide, cults and curses, calamities and cannibalism, massacres and mysterious disappearances, and more magic, mayhem, sinners, and spirits than we've ever offered on any season before. This is episode number 13 for this season, the mystery of the long trail. And I have to say that if nothing else, it'll make you think twice about wandering off in the woods alone. The Long Trail's bizarre string of disappearances began on November 12, 1945, with the vanishing of Mitty Rivers, 
74-year-old hunting and fishing guide. He was reportedly in perfect health and knew the area well, having been a native of the region for most of his life. The day that he disappeared was unusually mild for late fall, and Mitty led four hunters up onto the mountain. After spending the day away from camp, they packed up to return with Mitty leading the way. He got a little bit ahead of them, walked around a bend in the trail, and then he was just gone. One minute he was there, and the next he wasn't. The old man simply disappeared. Well, the hunters searched frantically and then notified the authorities. State police troopers, soldiers, Boy Scouts, and local residents combed the woods for hours. They refused to lose hope, knowing that Mitty was an experienced outdoorsman and could survive in the woods, even under the worst conditions. But when no trace of him was found, the efforts were expanded. The search parameters were widened and they went on for a month. Eventually, though, after winter set in, the search was called off. Mitty Rivers was never seen again. Then on December 1st, 1946, Paula Weldon, a young woman from nearby Bennington College, followed Mitty Rivers into oblivion. Paula was from Stanford, Connecticut and a sophomore at the college. Her father was Archibald Weldon, an industrial engineer. It was employed by the Revere Copper and Brass Company and she had come to Bennington College because of the excellent reputation that the school had for progressive teaching. Paula was described as blue-eyed, blonde, attractive, quiet, soft-spoken, and polite. She was a good student whose favorite subject was botany. Her interest in trees and plants gave her an excuse for solitary walks along the local forest trails. On the afternoon of Sunday, December 1st, she told her roommate, Elizabeth Johnson, that she was going out for a short afternoon hike. Paula changed into outdoor clothing, blue jeans, white sneakers, and a red parka with a fur-trimmed hood, which was warm but not particularly suited for the gloomy, rainy day. Elizabeth wanted to ask her why she wanted to go out in the mud and cold rain, but Paula was determined, so she didn't argue with her friend. What happened next is unknown. Against the drab December day, she should have been a conspicuous figure with her bright red coat, but only a handful of people were out and about who would notice her. One of them was an attendant at a gas station across Route 67A from the Bennington College gates. He saw her hitchhiking a short distance from the gas station at around 3.15 in the afternoon. Paula was picked up on the road by Lewis Knapp, a contractor who lived about 15 miles east of the college in the direction of Glastonbury Mountain and the start of the Long Trail, which is where Paula intended to go that day, or so she told Lewis Knapp. The trail was always busy in the summer months with tourist cottages and cabins, but in the cold weather, it was deserted. Only four families lived along the trail in the winter months, which made Paula's choice for her hike that day a, a strange one. Nevertheless, Knapp agreed to take her up the highway as far as to where he lived in Woodford Hollow, just three miles from the start of the long trail. When Knapp stopped the car at his driveway, Paula asked him the distance to the trail, and then she got out and started walking. She soon vanished into the mist that had replaced the cold rain of the early afternoon. About an hour later, she encountered another resident of the area, Ernest Whitman, a night watchman for the Bennington Banner newspaper. Whitman was surprised to see a young girl sloshing along the desolate road, especially since it was starting to grow dark. He spoke with Paula for a few minutes, and gave her some directions. After that, other witnesses spotted her on the trail itself and remembered her distinctly because she'd been wearing that bright red parka. 
They turned out to be the last ones to see her alive. Paula had a shift waiting tables at the dining hall that night, but she didn't show up for it. She also didn't appear at her usual bedtime. Although worried, Elizabeth Johnson decided to wait until morning to report her absence. After a sleepless night, she left her room at dawn and made her way to the dean's residence. The dean offered the opinion that Paula made of me a last-minute application to stay away from the college all night. But a quick check of the sign-out record showed this wasn't the case. The two of them hurried across campus to the home of Bennington President Lewis Webster Jones. He had no solution to the problem except to make a careful and very carefully worded telephone call to the Weldon home in Stanford to see if, by chance, Paula had unexpectedly turned up there. She hadn't. Jones's next call was to Sheriff Clyde W. Peck, who came straight to the college. He was later joined by veteran Vermont State Police Detective Almo Franzoni. Franzoni took charge of the investigation. He searched Paula's dorm room and saw no sign she'd taken any extra clothing or money with her. He checked the local bus and train stations, but with no luck. He questioned Paula's friends and found she had not told anyone where she was going that day. Aside from Elizabeth Johnson, no one even knew she'd left the campus. By this time, the newspaper was covering the disappearance, and night watchman Ernest Whitman contacted the authorities. Franzoni also heard from driver Lewis Knapp, the gas station attendant who spotted her, as well as witnesses on the long trail. A search was immediately started along the trail itself, led by game wardens, sheriff's deputies, search dogs, and volunteers. They walked the trail, scoured the woods, and searched the empty cabins along the trail. But there was no sign of Paula. By Tuesday, December 3rd, hundreds of additional volunteers had joined the hunt. Classes at Bennington College were suspended and nearly 400 students took part in the effort. Faculty members, students from nearby Williams College, Boy Scouts, trappers, woodsmen, and locals joined deputies and law enforcement officials as they scoured the area. There was also a contingent of volunteers from Revere Copper and Brass, as well as mountain climbers from the National Guard. The U.S. Navy even sent nine Marine search planes from the airbase at Squanum, and a helicopter was brought in to fly low over isolated areas. The army of searchers sloshed along in long lines through the woods and foothills. The weather was cold and wet, and everyone was soon soaked to the skin. But for what? The Bennington Student College, along with Paula's family and friends, put together a $5,000 reward fund for information. The offer of a reward brought in even more volunteers, and the search continued for two full days. On December 5th, though, it was called off because overhanging clouds had grounded the search planes, followed by several inches of snow that covered the landscape and concealed any clues that might have been left behind. By now, everyone was exhausted. They were sure that Paula had not left on her own. She'd been murdered or kidnapped, they believe. Many feared she was already dead, but her family refused to give up hope. Paula's parents insisted she'd been kidnapped, but with no evidence of this, the FBI refused to get involved. When the official refusal became public knowledge, well-known novelist Dorothy Canfield Fisher, a Bennington College trustee, wrote letters to J. Edgar Hoover and several political figures in Washington. Paula is not in these hills, she stated. She was taken away against her will but her appeals also fell on deaf ears. 
Many determined efforts were still made, but all of them were turned down. The governor appealed to both New York and Connecticut for skilled investigators to assist them, but only Connecticut responded, sending two state police detectives who succeeded with puzzling missing persons cases in the past. Their laborious investigation still failed to produce the missing girl. One of the investigators, Robert Rundle, agreed with Detective Franzoni when he declared that Paula's case was the most perplexing of his career. We have not a single clue, Rundle admitted. Paula was simply gone. They found not a single trace of her anywhere, no blood, no clothing, nothing. In the end, helicopters, aircraft, bloodhounds, and as many as a thousand people combed the mountain for the young woman, but no evidence was ever found. She was simply never seen or heard from again. But there were more disappearances that followed. In 1947, 56-year-old James Tetford returned home to Franklin, Vermont, after his military service ended after World War II. When he arrived home, he found that his 28-year-old wife, Pearl, had gone missing. Friends and family members had no idea where she'd gone. She simply disappeared one day, but no one unfortunately had notified James. The only clue that the police ever discovered was that she was last seen walking to a nearby Amico station. After that, she was simply gone. James was heartbroken and spent months trying to find his wife, but there was no use. She was just gone. Feeling like he had little to live for, he came to live at the Vermont Soldiers' Home, a retirement home for military men in Bennington. Then on December 1st, 1949, three years to the day of Paula Weldon's disappearance, James got onto a bus in St. Albans in northern Vermont, where he'd been visiting relatives. He was on his way back to Bennington, but for some reason, though, he never arrived. Where James actually vanished is part of the mystery. All 14 passengers on the bus remembered him getting on, and several were sure he was still on board at the stop before Bennington. They recalled seeing him sleeping in his seat. At some point, though, he apparently got off along the road, even though no one remembered him doing so, even the driver. The bus had passed right by the start of the long trail. Where James Tetford went, no one knows. He left only one clue behind. His suitcase was still on the luggage rack on the back of the bus. But as for James, he was never seen again. Less than a year later, in October 1950, an eight-year-old boy named Paul Jepson vanished from the Bennington Town dump, where his parents were caretakers. Paul was waiting in the family's truck while his mother relocated some pigs. She was away only for a moment, but when she looked up, the boy was gone. It was between three and four in the afternoon. It was a sunny day, and Paul was wearing a bright red jacket. And he should have been easily spotted, but he was nowhere to be seen. Mrs. Jepson searched frantically and called for him, and after a little while, went for help. Volunteers assembled to start another search, and hundreds of local residents joined police officers in combing through the dump, walking the roads, and hunting in the mountains. They even instituted a double-check system, so that after one group checked an area, another would follow them and check it again. But even with the search parties and aircraft brought in by the Coast Guard, there was no sign of the boy. The only clues came from a group of bloodhounds that were borrowed from the New Hampshire State Police. The dogs managed to follow Paul's scent, only to lose it at the junction of East and Chapel Roads, just west of Glastonbury Mountain, 
According to locals, this was the same spot where Paula Weldon had last been seen. Well, the search was eventually called off and another person was lost to the mountain. Then two weeks later, on October 28th, it claimed another one. Her name was Frida Langer, and she was on a hike that day with her cousin, Herbert Elsner. The 53-year-old Langer was described as a rugged outdoors woman with years of experience in the woods, and she was skilled with firearms. She was also very familiar with the region and like Mitty Rivers before her, was an unlikely person to simply get lost or just wander off the trail. Somehow though, she managed to disappear. At about 3.45 p.m., Frida slipped and fell into the edge of a stream, soaking her boots and pants. Since she and her cousin were only about a half mile from where they and some family members had set up camp at the Somerset Reservoir, she said she would run back and change clothes and then just catch up with Herbert. So he sat down to wait. But after Frida had been gone for a while, he started to get concerned. An hour passed, so he started up the trail to their camp. When he got there, he discovered that no one had seen her come back. And after looking at her gear, he could see that she'd never returned to change her wet clothing. Herbert immediately contacted the authorities. Alarmed by another disappearance in the same area, local officials quickly launched another massive search. Again, hundreds of volunteers combed the woods, tracing and retracing what should have been Frida's footsteps between the stream where she'd fallen and the camp. But there was nothing to find. On November 1st, General Merritt Edson, the State Director of Public Safety, started a second search. He vowed they would find Frida dead or alive, and he ordered his men to keep searching around the clock. More helicopters, aircrafts, officers, and volunteers were brought in, but once again, they found no clues. Another search was started on November 5th, and the volunteers divided up into groups of 30. They lined up and marched side by side along trails and through the forest, scanning every inch of ground. There was still no sign of the missing woman. On November 11th, the largest search so far was organized. Over 300 volunteers joined police officers, firefighters, and military units as they scoured the woods. A few days later, Frida's family gave up hope and the search was called off. But that's not the end of Frida's story. Strangely, Frida was the only person to go missing on the long trail who was later found. On May 12, 1951, seven months after she had vanished, her body was discovered lying in some grass near the flood dam of the reservoir where her family had camped. It was nowhere near the spot where she'd vanished and impossibly this site had been thoroughly searched while the hunt for the missing woman was carried out. The volunteers swore that the body had not been there during the initial search. The site where the corpse was found was in an open and clearly visible area, and it was simply impossible that the searchers could have missed it. But there it was. Unfortunately, no clues could be gathered from Frida's body and no cause of death was ever determined by the medical examiner. Her remains were too decomposed and the newspaper stated they were in quote, gruesome condition. The big question the police wanted an answer to was, could someone have placed the body there after the search was concluded? Maybe. 
Rumors swirled about a killer who was hiding on Glastonbury Mountain, claiming victims that were chosen from those who vanished into the woods. In those days, the term serial killer had not come to public attention, and later examinations of the cases do suggest a killer might have been at work. The disappearances occurred over a limited amount of time and all in one central area around the mountain and the Long Trail. Perhaps the killer was someone who came to Vermont each fall, committed his crimes, and then left. That might explain why no one was ever a suspect in the vanishings and why there were no remains, except for the Frida Langer that were ever found. So what happened in the mountains near Bennington, Vermont between 1945 and 50? Was a madman preying on lone hikers? Or were darker and more mysterious forces at work? Could these people have simply gotten lost? Or were they carried off against their will to a place that none of us, thankfully, can imagine? I know, I know, at least for a few days. Yeah. All right, are you ready? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, ready. well, thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in season six of the podcast. I'm gonna do this one because of your voice. Woods and fields, yeah. dark and wicked. Yeah, it's not happening. This <laughs> Actually, maybe your voice would have sounded better. Well, it might have. It might have. I'm not sure. Um, I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my raspy <laughs> voice co-host, author, historian, crime buff, yeah. and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Yes, yes, I am raspy voiced. So I, uh, I had to, well, it was a sinus attack of ah, some yeah. kind right, right before the conference. And um, I don't even know what happened. It was like Thursday. I had no voice at all. And so I didn't really have to do anything until Friday night. But then I had to speak Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. And by Monday, I had nothing left. Nothing. That's why I, I sent out an apology to our Patreon people. So if you're a Patreon supporter and you didn't see it yet, you did not get a new episode of the Moonlight Murder today um no. or this week because i i couldn't do it last week when i needed to record it i was lucky to be able to do this so uh but i i think this one turned out okay um yeah, so I, it'll get back eventually i don't know or maybe i don't know now i'm beginning to wonder I mean, it's <laughs> been i mean it's been like um going on two weeks since it, no, it takes longer so. to recover the older we get you know God. it's just, and i felt fine well i was tired you know i was worn out during the conference i did not feel fine i kept telling everybody i felt fine but i really didn't i yeah, felt like i'd been run over by a truck so oh well what are you gonna do what are you gonna do yeah i lose my voice usually once a year um in may kind of like clockwork oh really yeah I like just feel spring it allergy season yeah or exactly just yeah. feel it coming on and then it just oh it's terrible man there's just nothing you yeah. can do no there isn't there really isn't so i, I just kept asking troy a bunch of 
nonsense random questions all the time and i'd just like be yelling across like try and just like, trying to get him to just wear himself out um but we didn't put out the moonlight murder episode but i did put up um some conversations i had with people yeah. at the haunted yeah. america conference so that's a, that'll tide you over for a little bit yeah at least until the next episode which we will have at the next episode i have recovered enough so yes, even if yes. this is as good as it gets if i'm permanently damaged in some way at least i have this so Anyway, yeah, good thing you don't do your own audiobooks. You're fine. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> so, yeah, which, you know, we did. Have you had a chance to listen to that yet? I haven't. Oh, he, no one I, knows what we're talking about. Um, we just came out with a new uh, audiobook, uh, Murder by Gaslight, uh, the H.H. Holmes book that I did, which, by the way, was my 100th book. I don't really? know if you knew that or not. You had a big party and everything a few years ago when it came out. Some friends threw me a party for the hundredth book and stuff. It's kind of cool. Um, but that's this. I mean, it's so it's been a while in the audio book in the making here. But yeah, um, it is it is more of an audio experience than a book. Um, the the guy who normally does my audio books um, really went all out on this one i mean with music and all kinds of stuff so we're hoping to get an interview with him sometime before too long yep, uh, so we can up. talk about it a little bit maybe do some excerpts from it here on the podcast so uh but anyway as, as far as stuff that just came out though uh one thing i wanted to do was thank everyone who ordered the new book i had no idea i mean that that book was a lark for me that the one day in the Valley of the Kings. I mean, it just, I just thought it would be fun to write about the curse of King Todd and do, you know, something that I'd wanted to do since I was a kid. And instead combined with the conference and everybody who from the podcast who ordered it, it's actually become like one of my biggest titles ever. I had nice. no idea. So I, thanks for that. So everybody who did order, thank you. If you didn't and you still actually want one, um, go to AmericanHauntings.net. You can order one there. Um, and but don't forget the podcast code because um, you know we do um, you know we do always offer that ten percent off. All you got to do is put in the word podcast when you check out, and you can get it. So, and if you are fans of the podcast, you're probably going to be interested in my next book, which is coming out at the end of the summer. But I'm not going to talk too much about that yet. We'll we'll have a cover reveal and more info coming soon on that one. So yeah, I don't even know anything about that one. No, yet. well you do, but you just don't remember because I, I you probably looked at that and thought it seemed very very cryptic, but we talked about it. You probably just don't remember. So fair enough. Uh, but anyway, also one last thing, as promised, we have posted all of our fall ghosts of the river road tours and all of our dinner and spirits events to the website. So everything is up now from now until the end of the year. Um, so we we're telling you about this to give you a jump on the general public. Um, and get booked early because uh, especially the river road tour. Well, all of it will. Um, I've added three brand new dinners we've never done before. Those have been added to the website um, and everything we've got coming from you know, the rest of July all the way through December. So if you're interested, go to dinnerandspirits.com and uh, hope to see it in Alton this fall. So one way or the other. Nice. Awesome. Well, I'm going to dive into a, a listener review that we have here. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, from um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. This one's from Sherry Boer. It's titled Phantomtastic. It says, a friend recommended this podcast to me, and I was hooked as soon as I listened to the first episode. This podcast is the perfect mixture of myths slash legends that surround haunted places and discussions regarding the real history of those places. If you're a history buff who also likes ghost stories, this is the perfect podcast. I cannot recommend it enough. Well, thank cool. you, Sherry. Really appreciate it. Yeah the review are you ready wow. to dive in 
Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, this was a little more normal length. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw the length of the outline. No, no, like, like two hour God. monologue. <laughs> yeah. I was like, thank God. Okay. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't have done the Donner party with, with my voice like this anyway. So sure. at least, yeah, not, not, not right. Not right yet. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, and I know it one is. Of, yeah. It, it, it always has yeah. been because yeah. it just, um, it explains. Well, mine too. It is one of, one of mine too. It just so makes this kind of best of both worlds for me. It makes me, it gives me hope. It's like, th is this why I grew up without a father? Be like, maybe he was in what? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> all right, He's yeah. in another dimension somewhere. <laughs> yeah. um, this, okay. So the green mountains of Vermont, they loom over the town of Bennington, Vermont, which has always had a reputation for strangeness you said it's a place so strange that even master weird fiction hp lovecraft set one of his stories here the whisper in the darkness so you have hp lovecraft sees this place and recognizes it for what it is <laughs> yeah it, it tells you something yeah you gotta think there might be something to all the legends you know right right and there's this place um they call it the long trail so the long trail disappearances i'm going to go through some of these now so Midi Rivers. This all happened in about a what five year period that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, between 1945 and 1950, all these disappearances took place and in a pretty small geographic area. I mean, obviously, they're not in the exact identical place, although a couple of them are pretty damn close to the exact same place, but they're all within, you know, within several mile area and all of it you know, connected to Bennington and the Long Trail and Glastonbury Mountain, all these, this area that has got this, you know, kind of a, I don't know if you call it a haunted epicenter, but at least it was, mm -hmm. you know, lots of stories already preceded these disappearances. And that I think is, um, you know, the disappearances are what hooked me. I mean, yeah. everywhere's got ghost stories, but you get something like this that you just can't explain. It's pretty yeah. cool. Do you know how this area compares to like um, Pacific Northwest and stuff? And have you done any like differences between those or written any books about the individual spot? I'm, I'm curious. because I've never been to I've I've been uh, to Maine and things like that, but I've never been to like these. Well, this, woods this would be a lot places. closer. This would be a lot closer to Maine, especially northern Maine, than it would as far as the wilderness area goes than it would be even to the Pacific Northwest. It's a completely different kind of woods. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Different kind of forest. Um, and then the green mountains are, are a pretty rugged spot, but it's new England. So you, you, you know, you have, as we've talked about in, in some of our previous episodes, new England just has a, you know, a whole thing of its own, sure. you know, and the fact that, you know, Vermont and this area here with the, with the mountains and with the outdoors, um, it's just, uh, it's different than, than you get with little towns and, and any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's pretty remote. I mean, it's, it's somewhat isolated. I mean, yes, you have a college here as we talk about in this episode, but even so, um, especially in 1945, um, it was still a pretty isolated area. And that's, that's why this was so strange. I mean, I could give you an explanation, a possible explanation for most of these, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, well, let's, let's, let, let, let me play devil's advocate on yeah. some of these as we go. So okay. let's, let's talk, let's talk. Okay. About yeah. So Midi Rivers, the disappearance began um, on November 12th, 1945. 
Uh, a 74 year old hunting and fishing guide. One minute he's there, the next he's gone. And, and I like how you have a nice mix here and stuff, but something in particular about him, he said, he's an experienced outdoorsman. You know, yeah. it's not like, it's not me wandering off into the yeah, woods. Yeah, right. It's not, ju- it's know? not some, it's not some, uh, as they call them up in the, the Northern part of New England, it's not some mass hole who came okay. up for the weekend. You know, it's a guy who's lived there his whole life, knows the outdoors, knows the woods, knows the trails. He's a fishing guide. He's a hunting guide. This is not the kind of guy that gets lost. Right. Even right. at 74, which I mean, you know, 74 is, is older now, but in the 40s, that was still quite a bit older. But to me, that just means he had even more experience. Sure. But could he have you know, could he have fallen off the trail? Could he have fallen in a ravine? Could he have fallen in a creek and nobody found him? He washed away, he fell in a hole. You know, that's 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 what someone would say if they're just skeptical about the story. But keep in mind, this dude walked around a corner, like a bend in the trail, and then within seconds Oof. was gone. It's not like, you know, they heard a crash, you know, as he falls through the underbrush or, you know, that he ran off on the trail. I mean, there's just there's no good reason for him to just disappear. Right. You know, to do it voluntarily. I mean, there's there's no reason for it. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, side like that's exactly what I would say. You know, he, he slipped, fell down a hill and it was just real quick or something. But uh, like, if that's but why not- didn't they find him with yeah. all of this, this hunt that went on? Why didn't they look for him for a month? Why didn't they find him? I mean, they they saw him and seconds later he was gone. It's not like, you know, they went looking for him two hours later and wondered how he wandered off the trail. It wasn't like that. He was just there and then he was gone. I mean, yes. Okay. So then again, playing devil's advocate, let's say these guys were, you know, had been up at the hunting camp drinking beer all afternoon. Mm -hmm. So maybe he didn't wander off and they didn't even pay any attention or who knows, maybe one of them accidentally shot him. And they hid the body somewhere. I mean, you know, you could, I mean, do you see what I'm saying though? You could go so many directions with this stuff, but you know, Occam's razor says the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Oh, the the simplest explanation is this guy just disappeared, but that's not logical, but yet it happened. Yeah. And the fact that you have, you have so many people in a small area too, it's what really draws, draws the attention. Um, and even, you know, if it was a, a killer, serial kidnapper or whatever coming in and stuff, you'd think you don't have a lot of time when somebody just kind of goes around a corner. No, and, not around and a also, corner. Right. If they're just like kidnapping, somebody's going to kidnap a random 74-year-old dude and a young woman. <laughs> it just, it For seems no very, yeah, it seems very unlikely. Yeah. I mean, usually, the, go ahead. I say usually these people want some credit or something for what they've done. Right. I want to shoot, make a spectacle. Well, you know, and, why, well, and why stop? Yeah. Why just do it for five years and stop? Well, I mean, again, there could be a dozen explanations. Dead or in jail too. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, Paula Weldon got yeah. the most attention in this episode because she was the one who had the best connections. Mm-hmm. Well, they pulled the out only, all the stops. Yeah. She, she and Frida Langer were the only ones who really had any connections to anyone in the area mm-hmm. and that Frida just because she had lived there for so long kind of like Mitty Rivers but with Paula you know being with the connection to the campus and you know her father was an executive for a 
pretty famous company at the time with Revere Copper and Brass. I mean, you know, and it had connections to the government. And, you know, then you had a woman who at the time was a pretty well-known author, uh, Dorothy Canfield Fisher. I mean, you know, historical novels in the middle, you know, part of the 20th century, you know, who was one of the trustees on the board, who was, who was writing to J. Edgar Hoover and, the military is sending in help. They got the Coast Guard. They got planes. They've got helicopters. And they just didn't find her. Um, I would, in this case, have to say, I, I, I'm not, I mean, yes, we, okay, we can look at this and make it all real spooky and go, oh, everybody's, you know, disappeared into another dimension. Somebody came out and grabbed them and sucked them away, like in the mist or something, yeah, you know, yeah. right? But um, in this particular case, if I had to look at any of these and say, which one was an abduction, this would be the one I would pick. Mm -hmm. But, but again, it would have to be a crime of opportunity because it wasn't planned. I mean, she didn't, you know, out of the blue decides to go for a hike and that see that whole thing is so weird anyway. Well, the way you Why in the world would she go out for a hike on in December yeah. on a trail that's mostly deserted and doesn't even have a car to get out to the start of the trail, has to hitchhike to get out there, and then it ends up having to walk the last three miles. None of it makes sense. Well, it just the, way, doesn't make sense. the way you wrote it, it and, and I mean, obviously, I'm only reading your words with this, but it almost seemed like she's a little disassociated or depressed or it's like a or going suicide to meet mission. Someone. Or, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's yeah, my just, other thing. It seems not like telling anybody. Yeah. Yeah, so it just seems like a, a weird situation there. Yeah, um, yeah but I mean, I, yeah, I would. I, again, I would think that would be. But like you said, it had to be a crime of opportunity. It's not like she could tweet, you know, hey, I'm going out yeah, to, right, you exactly. know, their tag exactly. her location on Instagram yeah. or something. I mean, and, unless she was going to meet somebody and mm -hmm. they carried her off, which is a possibility. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, you know, was is that, you know, she should have been easy to find. I mean, even, even you know, with the clothing, bright red coat. She should have been easy to spot on the road or off the road, or even just in the woods in winter, mm -hmm. in the snow or, you know, rain at first, and then even some snow, but you know, she wasn't, she just vanished and was no trace of her was ever found. So if somebody carried her off, they killed her. The body was so well hidden, it was never found. Mm -hmm. If she ran away to start a new life, she never came back. That's for sure, because she just vanished. Yeah, that's why uh, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182, He somebody asked him, why do you play a bright pink bass? And he said, so I can find it if I lose it in the snow. <laughs> yeah, you know? that makes sense. <laughs> or just if someone steals it, at least I'll know who got it. You know, exactly. no one else is going to use it, so... Uh, let's talk about James Tetford and Pearl. So in 1947, 56-year-old James Tetford comes home from the war, finds his wife's missing, searches for her for a long time. Eventually, I guess. Yeah, and, and I, I don't I don't lump her disappearance in with the rest of these. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he 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 lived in Franklin. He didn't live in Bennington. I think it, I just included that because it just seemed kind of ironic. Yeah. The guy who vanished without a trace, so did his wife. But there's a good chance she just took off. Sure. You know, born wife, happened? guy had been gone yeah. for a while. Big age difference there. And maybe she just hit the road one day and never came back. Yeah, but then what about him, you know, and leaving a yeah. suitcase behind? Yeah. 
Well, his thing is so, I mean, and again, if you, again, playing devil's advocate here, you could say that just because no one remembered him getting off the bus, yeah. it doesn't mean he didn't stop. Everyone else could have been reading a book, asleep, looking at a newspaper, and he asked the driver to get off. Yeah. And the driver just didn't remember him doing it because he was so shook up because everybody was acting crazy about the fact that this guy seemed to have vanished. So there's a chance he got off the bus at around the start of the long trail and just decided to end it all. Yeah. There's a good chance this guy off himself. I think yeah. I mean, it's a possibility, but even so let's say, let's just say for the sake of argument, mm -hmm. He didn't get off the bus, that everyone was awake and paying attention, the other 14 passengers and the driver. Yeah. And the driver never stopped. The passengers never saw him get off at the stop before Bennington. They saw him asleep in his seat. They get to Bennington. He's gone and his suitcase is still in the back. That's like the story that I told you about the guy on the airplane. Remember the guy that goes to use the bathroom on the airplane? And disappears. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So how? It's impossible. It couldn't have been done. So if 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 that's what really happened, then we have a mystery that there's no possible way to explain. Yeah. It reminds and me again, we're 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 relying on you know witness testimony from 1949, you know, but it is odd that it's the exact same day, three years later when Paula disappeared. It's weird. Yeah. You know, it is weird. It's either a paranormal coincidence or it's a symbolic coincidence. He's like, I'm going to kill yeah. myself this day. Something. Yeah, something. It reminds me of the uh, that Twilight Zone episode where all those people are stuck in the diner off the bus and nobody uh, can yeah. remember who all yeah. was there and who wasn't. I know. And stuff. I, uh, there's something about, there's something about stories. I mean, TV shows, movies, whatever. There's something about bus station kind of movies like that mm -hmm. that are spooky. Something about those things. There's a, that's a whole niche subgenre yeah. of horror slash science fiction that, for some reason, I just love. I guess it's because it's so outdated. You know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, yes, there are still bus stations, but it's not like it was in the '40s and '50s. You know, there's little restaurants there, and you know, then they became like super sketchy and scary, and you know, but they weren't they weren't then. People actually use the bus to to travel more than they. I mean, they do still. Don't get me wrong. I mean, people still take the bus, but it's not like it was back in the '40s and '50s. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's something about those that always appeal to me. So. Something about that part of this story I always loved, you know, I yeah. wish there was more to it. I wish I could find oh, I more. Yeah. I mean, I just I did just find out the thing about his wife. This is the first time I've and I've written about that story. But the first time I've ever included in anything was for this episode. Oh, uh, OK. I just found out that his wife disappeared. And so I thought, well, I got to add that in. So but so I don't know. Who knows, man? Yeah. I Isn't just, that why we do it? That's, what, that's <laughs> why knows? we do it. I just watched the other day. Um, it's not it's not a bus station movie, but I just watched Legion the other day. It's a oh, garbage, yeah. it's a garbage movie, but it's such a guilty pleasure. It is. It, well, it is. Designer. It is. I love that for the same reason that you do. And it's a you know what? And I, and I said bus station, but diner. That, that's a that's part yeah, yeah. of the same subgenre. I think. right. Right. You know, the little diner in the middle of nowhere. How many really great, really cool movies, you know, have that as a setting? 
Yes. Or, or little motels or something. So. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what, Mike? One of my guilty pleasures is that movie Identity. I just watched that the other day, too. I just watched it again. I've probably seen that thing like five or six times. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't like the twist. We're the same birthday. I, I don't know. I liked it. I, I like it, it too. Fun. I, I, I rewatched that movie. I get a kick out of it. So, yeah, it's too bad that it's it's gotten dogged on the way that it has because I, I think it's pretty good. Is that I Ray Liotta in that, too? Is that Ray Liotta? Uh, yes. It? cop or an agent or i don't know it's every it's so bizarre the whole thing everything changes all the time but yeah but but that's the same kind of thing um and vacancy yeah that one with um ah shoot um i don't know it's i know what you're talking about you guys got a brother you know the blonde brother and the dark-headed brother aren't they you know that if only we had a way to look it up Uh, luke wilson oh luke wilson right 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 and is it Kate Beckinsale? Yes. Yeah. I like that movie too. And I don't even know why. <laughs> it's just one of those movies. I know. Or, or Bad Times at the El Royale. I was just going to say That's, that. Yeah. That is a classic. Especially, yeah. Hemsworth as a cult leader. Oh, like, oh man. I'd follow John Ham. That is so many good people in it. Jeff Bridges. God, I love that movie, man. I really do. I'm going to have to watch that probably tonight, honestly. I haven't seen I know, it. I, it's in my watch list again. I just dug it back up again. I thought, man, I'm due to rewatch this. So it's yes. on my list. Yeah. God, it's such a good one. So anyway, I mean, we are way off track That's here. But movies, yeah. I know. Uh, so, you know, so there, there's our bus station thing. So, you know, then the next one is uh, is less than a year later. Um, yeah. And it's the kid at the dump. Yeah. Paul Jepson, Paul yes. Eight, eight-year-old boy disappears from the town dump. Um, this time, you at least have, I don't know, some evidence, quote unquote, but Bloodhounds lose a scent around the same place Paula Weldon yeah. had been seen. Yeah, but see, that's weird. See, there's yeah. your weird, there's your weird thing. And here's, this is also weird, and I included this, and it probably has nothing to do with anything, but he was also wearing a bright red jacket. Mm-hmm. And then he disappears almost exactly where Paula was last seen. That's weird, you know. Maybe, um, maybe it doesn't. Is there an explanation? Out, abs- I mean, sure. I mean, it, it, you know, kids were. We we like to think that you know. Again, I always say you know the good old days weren't always good, and mm-hmm. you know, in this particular case, it's very possible this was a kid who just was abducted. But it would have to have been planned out, and in then or even not, maybe not. Maybe somebody was watching the kid to grab him. But this seemed to be a crime of opportunity too. Mm-hmm. Got left alone in the truck while his mom was you know, had some pigs that got out of a pen and she's running them back in again. The kid vanishes, you know, and the, I mean, they're learning from their searches because now they've started this double check system and everything. It's, um, you know, but nothing. Don't find a thing. They find absolutely nothing. Speaking of child abductions, did you watch Black Phone yet? Yes, I did. And I gave it a four and a half stars. Okay. I, I gave it loved it that movie really it is in my top 10 for the year i yeah, think it's I it'll, it's it. in, i think it'll be in my top yeah. 10 for the year too i, I loved it i know i know it was great and no spoilers or anything it was um i just said it was it was violent in a way i didn't expect it to be violent yeah, it was it was there was a lot of violence and but it was most of the violence though was like kid on kid violence yes you yes. know it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> like a creepy adult stuff i mean yeah. you, you got the vibe but yeah. they didn't show any of that. But yeah. um, but I love the movie, though. Uh, I thought it was so well done. Those kids, the the two kids, um, Finn and his sister, oh, they just were phenomenal. knocked it out of the park, man. Yes. They were just great. 
And um, there were just enough scares. Hey, did you recognize the crazy brother, Max, that kept doing all the coke? That's yeah, the deputy yeah, from, from Sinister, the Sinister movie. Deputy so-and-so. <laughs> Love that dude. Um, <laughs> I okay. started laughing when I saw it was him. <laughs> we have whipped 10 minutes before this recording. Okay, well, we, let's let's get moving here. Okay, so, sorry. I did, well, we could always know. come back on and finish if we need That's to. That's true. Should we? Uh, no, well, let's just go. We're okay, let's just, let's just go here. and then we'll do what we got to yeah. do. Okay, uh, Frida Langer. So two weeks after Paul Jepson goes missing, October 28th, she and her cousin Herbert Elsner go hiking. She describes 53-year-old rugged outdoors woman, again, with years of experience in the woods and with firearms. She gets gets wet in like a creek, decides to go back to the camp to change. She's only about a yeah, half mile they're away. By. They're yeah. only a half mile from camp, and they're just started on their hike. But she never and, makes it back. Yeah. No. And I mean, um, he retraces the footsteps an hour later. Not only is she, does he not see her or run into her, but when he gets back to camp, she never came. She never came back. Right. So somewhere in that half mile, she disappeared. And then there's a massive search, but nothing happens. But the seven months later, her body's discovered. And again, you can play devil's advocate, but a place where she probably should have been found. If yeah. Oh, yeah. She to. definitely would have been found right on the grass at this reservoir where they'd been camping. She's laying there right in the grass. And they had been through that area over and over and over again. So either someone grabbed her, kept her captive, killed her stored her body in a freezer or something because forensics at that time wouldn't have known that if she yeah. odd, and then dumped the body or or she disappeared into another dimension or was abducted by ufos mm-hmm. and they dropped her body back off i don't know you know or she went somewhere else and came back i don't know there's lots of ways to go on this just depends on what you want to believe in sure. but this one is a little that's a little fucked up Let's yeah. be honest. Seven months later, that's that's pretty bizarre, man. It is. And you mentioned, you know, later examinations of case suggests that it might, you know, killer might have yeah. been involved. It, I think there's maybe there's probably it, different variations. On oh, a lot yeah. of these, these people. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I, I went with the talked about the serial killer at the end because it's the only logical explanation. Right. Everything else is completely illogical, you know, uh, and I'm not saying impossible. Not saying impossible. I'm just saying that the good distinction. Yeah, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that if if that you had to pick something that people who don't believe in ghosts and woo woo things that go bump in the night, if they're looking for an explanation, it would be that somebody came up to Vermont to that area every fall and, you know, Killed somebody, a field but day, with yeah. no, but with no clear target yeah. of any kind. They were all, you know, of all, all different. None of them shared anything in right. common at all, except for two people with red jackets and two people who were outdoors people. That's it. Yeah, everything yeah. else was different. And I mean, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to have a serial killer that their only mo or something is people in a location with an opportunity i sure i mean I that's guess. possible I or guess. if you were an alien or someone from another <laughs> dimension who was putting together a zoo wouldn't you want people who were all completely different well yeah you want a giraffe <laughs> and an orangutan <laughs> and a tiger yeah, i know you, yeah yeah i know i'm sense. not I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying. No, that's more fun. It's more fun. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, I mean, there's no shortage of people that go missing out of nowhere. So we can can definitely do more of these in the future. As hint, hint. 
Mm, wink, wink. We'll wink. definitely be doing in the future. We will. Yes, well, we I, will. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our new uh, Patreon subscribers. So thank you so much for supporting the show to Michael, Lori, Bethany, Jamie, Lisa, Katrina, Carol, Sarah, Melissa, Kristen, and Sarah. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. You can check that out at patreon.com slash American hauntings. Yeah. Lots of stuff there. <laughs> lots of stuff you can do, including that other podcast that we do. So yeah, we will other, be continuing. Yeah. A whole other podcast. A whole other Believe me, one. much to Cody's dismay, but still. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's fun though. Um, it is now time for our ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. This email comes to us from S.A. Jacobs. It says, hi, guys. Thank you again for the incredible podcast. As someone who loves to research history myself, Troy's depth of research always completely blows my mind. With that being said, I'm curious how you keep from getting disillusioned with paranormal stories when it sometimes feels like the history itself debunks so many stories. While I love the history, realizing that in many cases the truth is stranger than fiction, I find myself frustrated that every great paranormal story I research seems to be a dead end when you look at the history. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Always keep up the good work. Thanks. What are your thoughts on that, Troy? Do you ever get disappointed when you no, finally come no, to No, I end? don't, because that's kind of far, for me, that's part of, part of the fun is that, you know, people will tell a story about something that's supposed to have happened, and then you find out that it really didn't. But here's the problem. People are still having a paranormal experience, mm -hmm. which means there's a whole other realm to look for. There's a whole other explanation. You know what I mean? So yeah. you've got a story about, you know, such and such is supposed to happen. You find out, oh, well, no, no one actually died there. So why is the story being told? Well, there is often another reason for it. And mm -hmm. so for me, that makes it more like a detective story rather or detective work rather than just, you know, repeating. There's nothing I hate more than just repeating the same stories over and over and over again when there's, I think, always something new to find. And uh, so, no, I, I don't. Uh, I mean, I, I, I completely understand what he's saying, though, um, you know, as far as the disappointment goes, because it, it can be disheartening when you well, I think my biggest disheartening thing is to find out just how many people lie about stuff. Oh, yeah. Know, and just make stuff up. I think that's the that's the part that bothers me the most. Uh, but, you know, as far as just finding out there's another explanation that doesn't bother me so much. Have you ever done research or anything? And then have you ever like ended up working with law enforcement or anything and being like, hey, I, I, I compiled all this stuff. Or no, anybody ever they don't want to hear from them. I can't even get legitimate or I guess legitimate's maybe not the right word. I can't even get mainstream history people to listen to me. Mm. You really think a cop's going to listen? Oh, yeah, that's I, not going to happen. So, so, so movie, movies lie to me. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I just don't see that ever happening. I, I suppose it's possible, but you know, like I said, I mean, there's there's a, a book that just came out recently, and I'm not going to name any names or anything, but it's about a subject that I have written about extensively since like 2009. And uh, the only difference between my book and that book is that it comes from a big publisher and has an advertising budget behind it. My books don't. And so it's essentially the but yet they're breaking ground. And I thought, dude, I broke that ground like 15 years ago. Damn. So, I mean, that's the only disheartening thing is you just, people don't listen when it, as soon as they hear ghosts, that just shuts off. So fair enough. It's all right. Whatever. I like what I do. Yeah. So. That's all I got, Troy. 
All right, man. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we will be back in two weeks with another episode about a haunted patch of woods and a very, very different story than this one. So uh, you won't wonder why this patch of woods is haunted. Trust me. <laughs> awesome. Well, this episode of the American Hauntings podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Music for this season is performed by Packy Lundholm and you can find more about his I music. I said I was going to spare my voice and not interrupt you, so <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm going to let you go. Upcoming, she says he's not going to interrupt me, but he says it while well, interrupting. <laughs> um, up, you can find his upcoming shows on Twitter, Instagram, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud, and Facebook. You can find us on most of those places too. Plus, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Find the website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, and more. Thanks for listening. We couldn't and definitely wouldn't. Oh, did we we talked about Patreon, right? I mean, as far as the link. Oh, Patreon. yeah, yeah, patreon.com slash American I couldn't remember if we did. Oh, you said it. I, didn't I mentioned it, it earlier. Time. Yeah, that's right. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. It's sorry. all good. Until okay. next time, <laughs> goodbye. So long. See you later. Oh, see you later. All right, I'm going to stop this because we have less than a minute, it says, and I'll text yeah. you in a minute, okay? Yeah, we did pretty good. <laughs> we did. All right, man, I'll talk to you.